Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning, Blue Ridge Church. It's good to see you. Good to have those of you with us with our online campus. So I know one thing for sure, you got your clock set correctly. You're here, right? But I bet half of you, that one on the stove is still blinking. I haven't figured that one out yet, but hey, it's great to have you here today. I know the weather is not great. You know, it's such a hard decision to make when it's going to snow like late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, but we're so thankful that you're with us. So if you're joining us for the first time, either online or in person, we are in a series right now called Relationship Playbook, and we're learning about relationships. And we've learned that last week we talked about how we can't get away from relationships, right? It is a part of life. It's something God created us to be in. So it's in our best interest to look at relationships, learn as much as we can about them, and then adjust ourselves so that we can make those relationships the best they can possibly be. And we learned that God desires for us to have deep and meaningful and loving relationships, right? Most of our relationships are kind of shallow and superficial, but he wants them to be meaningful and impactful in our lives. So we have to do whatever we can to make all of those relationships work, no matter where our relationships are. So if you're with us last week, we talked about personalities and how we each have a unique personality that's unique to us. And sometimes a lot of times that personality doesn't really match with other people all the time, right? You can have a different personality and they just don't mesh. So we learned that we can't change our underlying personality, but we can adjust, right? We can highlight certain things about our personality or we cannot bring those to the forefront when we have a relationship with another person. And we learned too that if we will start walking in humility if we'll have some empathy and compassion in our life, all those things Jesus calls us to do, we can start to put ourselves in other people's shoes and start to see the world the way they see the world, and then we can better get along and better adjust our personality. So if you didn't get a chance uh, to watch that, maybe uh, this afternoon that'd be a great time to do that because you're not going to be able to do a lot of other things but I encourage you to keep up with this series as we go through, because again, it's in our best interest to figure out relationships to the fullest extent. So today I want to talk about something that I think is going to be kind of fun to talk about. It's something that's present in just about every relationship at one time or another in that relationship, and that's conflict. And now we need the announcer to go, are you ready to rumble? Right? Conflict is inevitable in our relationships. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. There's no conflict in my marriage. There's no conflict at work. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? If a relationship is going to have any meaning whatsoever, an element of that at one time or another is going to be some conflict. If there's not conflict in in a relationship, then there's probably little to no communication going on. Often when I meet with a couple and they say, oh yeah, we never fight, we never have had a conflict, an argument, or anything, either they haven't been together long enough, 
or they're just not talking to each other. They're just not communicating. And as we talk about conflict today, I don't want you just to think of it as a negative term, right? That's, an, that's an initially what came to your mind. Oh, conflict is negative. It doesn't always have to be negative. Conflict within a relationship, especially in a marriage covenant, can actually be a good thing if we handle it correctly, right? If it improves the relationship or takes the relationship to the next level. Think about it like this. Conflict can actually be positive. Think about movies or TV shows that you watch or even a book that you read. All good books, all good movies have some element of conflict in them right? There's a problem that has to be solved, or the, the man and the woman aren't getting along, or the bad guys are having conflict, and, 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 you know, what's the best way to commit this crime, or the good guys are having conflict. There's always some type of disagreement or something that has to be solved in a movie. And they put that conflict in there to hold our attention, right? To keep us focused on the show so that we'll get all the way through the show or all the way through the book or all the way through the movie, and again, when it comes to our relationships, it doesn't have to be negative. If you can overcome a misunderstanding with someone, if you can overcome a disagreement with someone, it's going to strengthen your relationship. It's going to strengthen you, it's going to strengthen the other person, and then the relationship is going to be better. I mean, when you watch one of those chick flicks on TV, you know, and, and they're fighting and, and they're together and then they're fighting again, you feel better when they're together at the end of the movie, right? Or you feel better when the problem is solved. You can say, oh, wow, that was such a good movie. Again, it's the same way in our relationships. It can improve them if we are willing to handle conflict, disagreements, arguments correctly. So when we're able to uh, experience and resolve it, Again, it's going to also build security in our relationship. It's going, to, it's going to build trust in that relationship. It's going to mature that relationship further. So we can grow. So think about it. We can grow further with the person that we love the most when we can put our disagreements behind us. Plus, as we accomplish that, what's it do? It also shows us, hey, we can, we can conquer anything together. We can overcome anything. We can survive anything that's thrown our way because we've proved it by doing this and this when it came to past conflicts. Conflict, though, it is painful. I, I'm not going to undercut it. It's, it's painful. It's the pain we have to go through if we want, again, those meaningful, deep relationships with those people that we love the most. According to marriage and family counselor, this guy's name is Dr. John Gottman, and he has studied especially married couples for years and years. He's got a whole team of people that will interview married couples and study them and put statistics together. But, so he's a true expert in the field. He said 69% of marriage conflicts are never resolved. 69%. That means 69% of the time we sweep it under the rug. We pretend the conflict isn't there or we never get to the underlying issues in our marriage. But conflict's not just reserved for marriage, is it? We have conflicts in our schools. We certainly have conflicts in churches. We have conflicts at work 
with our roommates, maybe sometimes with our banker or or external family members. We see conflict on the field and, and on the basketball court. And I doubt many of us just yearn to have conflict. We don't just love conflict because we have this longing to be accepted, to be loved, you know, to have, to have peace in our relationships, not to have tension. So if you're a Christ follower and you've made that decision to trust Christ, our goal should be to live out his commands, to love each other, and again, to have meaningful relationships. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34. And if you're with our online campus today, they'll send you a link for our notes. If you're here, you can simply download that church center app. But John 13, 34 So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. That's a familiar verse to a lot of you. That, again, always has to be the goal. Now, some of you may enjoy conflict, at least initially, initially, but I would venture to say that most of us, we spend a lot of time, effort, and energy trying to avoid it at all costs especially with the people that we're around all the time or the people that we love the most. Again, conflict being present in a relationship doesn't have to be a sign of weakness. It can actually be a sign of health in communication. We all want peace, don't we? We want peace in our relationships, but sometimes we got to have that conflict. We prefer no drama, no discord, just ease, just peace. But peace is not the opposite of conflict. When we say we want peace in our life and not conflict, those things are not opposite. Peace simply means when we have an argument or when we have a disagreement, when we don't see eye to eye, we're simply going to handle it peacefully. We're going to handle it in a dignified way. That's That's what it means when you want peace. So look at learning number one. Peace in a relationship is usually achieved by going through conflict. Unfortunately, that's the path we have to take. We have to get through the conflict in order to have the peace that we long for in those relationships. So if our end goal is peace and harmony with people, just know you're going to have to have some disagreements, some conflicts before you're ever going to get there. And all through that conflict, we just have to manage it properly. Again, this is kind of like our personality. We have to manage ourselves. And when we can do that and not hide it like 69% of the time we're doing, then we can begin to move forward. God understands, too, that we're going to have arguments and disagreements in our relationships. He's not shocked by that. As a matter of fact, he gave us pretty clear guidelines in the Scripture of how we're supposed to handle conflict. And one of the amazing things that people don't even know is God says, hey, whatever separates you from other people, you need to fix that first before you approach me. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, and punch him in the nose. 
Wait a minute, that's not what it says. What's it say? Make things right. Make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. If that doesn't show the importance of relationships, why we're talking about relationships and how important they are to God, I don't know what does. He says, you guys, whatever's standing in your way of your relationship, you fix that first before you ever come to church, before you ever give to me, before you ever serve me, before you ever minister to somebody, before you ever pray to me, you work out your differences with people I've put you in relationships with. That's pretty impressive. That's how important this is to God. He wants us to live in harmony with each other, right? He wants us to be in harmony in church. He wants us to be in harmony in our schools, in our places of work. He wants us to be in harmony at the gas station and at the grocery store and on airplanes, for crying out loud. What is wrong with people on airplanes? I don't know if it's when they get in the airplane and all of a sudden they just lose their mind when they, when they get off the ground or what, but he wants us to be in harmony everywhere. He wants us to be in harmony on the, on, on the field. He wants us to be in harmony at the neighborhood barbecue, the picnic, whatever it is. He says, you guys be reconciled to each other. And this is any relationship. You guys be reconciled to each other before you come to me. So conflict in a relationship means we do have the opportunity to grow closer to the person we're in a relationship with, but we also have the opportunity to grow, uh, grow closer to God if we do as he asks us to do. So again, it's in our best interest to learn how to handle conflict instead of learning how to sweep it under the rug and hide from it and pretend that it doesn't exist. So how do we do that? Well, one way to grow through conflict is to argue fairly. There are good arguments and there are bad arguments, and I'm sure we've had both in our life. So what's a characteristic of a good argument? Well, a good argument could be characterized by both parties want to resolve it and they don't want to hurt each other in the process, right? Unfortunately, most of us probably can't say that about our last argument. Think back to your last argument, your last fight, your last conflict. You were probably hurtful. Both sides were probably hurtful. So that wouldn't be a, a positive fight. That wouldn't be positive characteristics of a good argument. A good argument, remember, it's helpful to both sides in the relationship. But when our conflicts are constantly negative, they're constantly hurtful, you know, when we start calling names or, or, or we start making degrading statements about the other person, the statistics aren't very good at all when that's the way our conflicts are. Another statistic from this guy, Gottman, in marriage, 93% of couples, 93% who don't fight fair will be divorced in 10 years. So when they're negative arguments, they're bad arguments all the time, Within 10 years, 93% of married couples will be no more. And, and again, not only does fighting destroy a marriage, it destroys each individual. 
It's not healthy for us. I mean, there's plenty of statistics to show that unhealthy marriage arguments are not good for your health, right? It causes anxiety. It causes stress. It causes, you know, high blood pressure, back pain, neck pain, you name it. It's just not healthy. I remember when we were first married, we hadn't been married six months. And my wife told me one time, she said, you better sleep with one eye open. She said, because you're not going to see the two by four coming when I hit you upside your head, right? Because we were having not a very good argument. But in the end, bad arguments lead to relationships that are going to eventually die. 93% of marriages within uh, 10 years. And, And this same research team claims they can predict with a remarkable amount of accuracy of whether or not a couple is going to stay together simply by observing the way they fight, simply by looking at how they handle their arguments. So it has, it's a big deal that it's a good argument instead of a bad argument. So here's learning number two. If we want to have great relationships, we have to learn to disagree honorably with our spouse, with a family member, with a coach, with a friend, with a roommate, doesn't matter who it is. We have to learn to fight the good fight. Now, don't get through today and call your mom and say, hey, our pastor taught us how to fight better in our relationships. You make sure you give her some context, all right? But the good news is God gives us all kinds of guidelines. Not only does he start off by saying, you fix whatever's separating you before you come to me, but all through the scriptures, he gives us some good guidelines on how to handle conflict. Because if we handle it the right way, we're going to deepen the relationship, but if we handle it the wrong way, we'll destroy the relationship. Look at Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict. But love covers over all wrongs. And then Proverbs 15, 18. People with quick tempers cause trouble. But those who control their tempers stop a quarrel. So what dictates a good argument versus a bad argument? Again, a good argument's where both parties, they want to resolve the problem. They want to get to the bottom of it. They want to uncover the underlying issues, which really causing us to fight, and they want to cooperate with each other in order to reach some type of resolution. And again, anytime we're in a conflict with somebody that we love and that we care about, we need to be very cognizant of our actions, right? We need to be careful of what we say. That's how we add teamwork to both sides. If we will both do that, then we're going to have that mutual agreement, hey, we're going to fix this thing. Now, a bad argument is when a person just wants to win, right? One side just wants to win the argument, doesn't matter the cost. And what happens is we, we will get defensive, we will want to be in control, we will be confrontational. And again, we don't care what we do to the other person as long as we come out on top, as long as we're the victor. We'll throw names around, uh, you know, we'll confront behaviors of the other person. Well, you always do this, and you always do this. We'll, we'll appear self-righteous, like we've got it all together and they don't. We'll make them feel like, hey, you're the reason why that we're having this argument and we're fighting. In a bad argument, we rarely, if ever, get to the underlying issues of what's going on. So just hearing that, 
some of those characteristics, the marks of a good conflict versus a bad conflict, where would you say you're at today? Just answer that for yourself. Don't point fingers, don't share, but where would you say you're at? Do you lean on being a really good conflict resolver, a good arguer, or do you lean to not be so good? Just kind of evaluate yourself. Again, this is about improving. It's not about saying, man, I can't believe you handled it that way. It's about improving. And fair warning, don't get in the car today and tell your spouse, hey, Scott said you weren't a good arguer, that you're the reason that we argue. Don't do that. You know, this is about self-reflection, a gut check of our own. Hey, where can I improve? And listen, you may be somewhere in the middle. Sometimes you're a good arguer. Sometimes you're not so good. The whole point is for us to learn what we can do better, what we can work on, not necessarily the other person. And something that'll kind of help you decide what side of the aisle you're on. Am I a good arguer? Am I a bad arguer? It's just ask some questions. You know, am I always willing and wanting to win regardless of the cost? Do I belittle the other person? Do I badger the other person? Do I, do I call names? Do I, do I make personal attacks? Do I pick little teeny things out of their life, insignificant things, and highlight those? Do I get really defensive when things don't go my way? Do I sow discord and then withdraw from the conflict so that the other person suffers? Listen, when our goal is only to win regardless of the cost, we're going to lose the battle because ultimately we're going to lose the relationship. So how do we fight fair? How do we handle it in a fair way? And here are a couple things I think that'll keep us on track when it comes to conflicts. During any argument, we got to make sure we temper our words, right? This is, this is probably, you know, Christianity 101. We, we got to watch our mouth. We got to watch our words. The Bible says we got to give a gentle answer because of what it does. Look at Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So if we'll give a gentle answer, we're going to reduce, we're going to calm the other person, and we're going to be better to, able to get to the underlying issue. Watching our mouth the tone of our words, the word selection that we choose. You know, just think a little, and read the book of James. James talks all about controlling the tongue and controlling our words. But again, we can get our point across of why we're disagreeing with the other person in a gentle way. We don't have to scream and yell and holler. Ephesians gives some guidelines as well, Ephesians 4.26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, anger's not a bad thing either, necessarily. It is okay in an argument to be angry. It's, this is saying how we handle our anger is key. Sometimes anger's justified, isn't it? Sometimes anger in an argument is necessary. But we can control our anger and keep ourselves from slipping over and turning it into sin. 
and, and ultimately destroying that other person in the process. So we can watch our words, right, and how we say them. We can control our anger. It's okay to have it, but we can control it through the conflict and through the discussion with the other person. And then Paul reminds us that we have to work towards resolution. Again, 69% of us ignore this part. We don't ever get to resolution. We don't look at the underlying problems. Paul says, work towards resolution. Now, is that verse we just looked at realistic? Does that really mean we're never going to go to bed angry? I doubt it, right? Does it mean you're not going to wake up in the middle of the night, just steam coming out your ears because of a fight you had earlier? Probably not. But what he's saying is don't put it off. Don't just keep delaying handling the conflict. Because if we do, here's what's going to happen. Learning number three, unresolved conflict is a relationship killer. Again, 69% of the time, we don't even address it. So a good fight doesn't let anger go unchecked. It watches our words and we work towards resolution and forgiveness of the other person or ourselves. Here's something else we can do. We got to keep our pride in check. We got to keep our pride in check in the midst of conflict because that is one of the first things that sparks when we get in an argument with somebody else's our pride. Now, we talked about prioritizing humility back in January. And so I want to review some verses on pride just to show you how dangerous this is. But if you need some more, go back and listen to that talk on humility. But Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. So if we can reduce that pride, if we can walk in humility, we're going to have even more wisdom to handle that conflict. Galatians 6 says this, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Let's look at another one, James 4, 6. God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So again, pride has to be kept in check because pride is one of the greatest, if not the greatest sins that's out there. Pride is behind all of our issues in life, our negative issues, all of our problems in life. It's the source of misery in our life. Yet day in, day out, month after month, year after year, we refuse to address our pride. Why? Because we're so full of ourselves, and we think we're always right. We're, we're pretty self-centered people, and most people will never address their pride issue. And, and Proverbs 13.10 says it the clearest, pride leads to conflict. It does. Every single time. Pride keeps us from cooperating with others. It stands in the way of us saying, hey, I'm sorry. Self-centered pride is at the heart of every bad fight. Guarantee you. 
And these guys also did some research on pride. Uh, They say that 74% of the time when pride is kicked into a conflict, you know, that pride rises up and now we're really, we're at it. We're fighting. 74% of the time we will continue to fight even when we know we're wrong. Even when we know it's a losing battle. So we got to keep our pride in check. We got to watch our words. We got to control our anger. We got to work towards resolution. But when that resolution starts, our pride's got to stay in check. We got to walk humbly. Now, there's a good kind of pride, right? We're familiar with that. It's, it's okay to take pride in things like your church or your school or pride in your work. It's okay to take pride in your home, you know, caring for your home or or your kids, whatever. It's okay to be, you know, get some pride when you help someone, you minister to another human being. That feels good. That's a good kind of pride. Or knowing because of something you did for God's kingdom, somebody found Christ. That's all good. The dangerous part is, is when pride sneaks into our conflicts and it becomes unhealthy. And in the midst of a heated conflict, You know, even before we can even get a hold of it, sometimes pride surfaces its ugly head. And that's when a conflict turns dangerous or it turns toxic and harmful. Now, we all know that feeling we get when we're out of sync with another human being, right? Especially if you've ever been in a dating relationship or marriage and you know there's tension going on and you just feel out of sync with your partner, or maybe it's somebody at work, that feeling you get, gosh, just, this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit well with you, and you want to resolve it, but you don't want to feel like, you know, you're being taken advantage of, and sometimes that keeps us, too, from getting to the issue and really wanting to solve it, but more often when, or than not, when pride does kick in, when it rears its ugly head, what's going to happen is we'll never get to resolution. That fight just gets out of control. And again, it ends without ever getting to the underlying issue and we never resolve it. Only when we practice humility in the midst of conflict can we get to the bottom line. Can we fix it? And listen, it's the hardest thing to practice is humility. We might be able to get a grip on that anger. We may be able to choose some good words to start off. But when pride comes into that relationship and the conflict, it's very difficult at that point to walk humbly. But Christ should be our example. Look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus walked in humility. He humbled himself. See, humility allows me and it allows you to kind of step off the pedestal that we're on or that we think we're on and be on the same footing as everybody else. Again, it's not easy. It's risky. It makes us vulnerable to being played or or to look like a fool. But it also makes it possible for us 
to be who God wants us to be, especially in relationships. And again, it's the hardest thing to learn and to practice in life. But if we can walk humbly in the midst of conflict, it makes it possible for us to truly start to resemble the character of Christ. And isn't that the goal? To become more like Christ every day? I'd venture to say if we can't drop our pride and if we can't walk in humility, then it's going to be nearly impossible for us to do anything that Christ calls us to do in the Scripture. We won't be as kind as we should. We won't love the way we should. We won't empathize and sympathize with others. We won't help others, and we won't have a good argument, and we'll never be as close together with another human being as we could be. So bottom line, our conflicts in our relationships, they can be fought properly. We can fight the good fight, and as a result, be closer to the people that we care about the most, the person that we have a disagreement with. I'm telling you, I've seen this so many times with couples. I've seen it with friends. I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen it in my own life. In a fair fight doesn't mean that we're going to completely eliminate all the conflict. But if we'll handle it in a godly way, it's going to bring us that peace that we all desire in our relationships. And I think if we remember this is of the utmost importance to God, when he says, you fix this before you come to me, that gives us motivation to want to actually resolve our conflicts, knowing we're going to be stronger as a couple or stronger as friends after we resolve it. So as we finish up today, do a little self-reflection. Just ask yourself a couple of questions. Who do I have unresolved conflict with today? You don't have to answer that out loud or write it down, but I want you to think about who is it that you have unresolved conflict with today? What relationship of yours has been wasting away because you're avoiding the conflict and you're not willing to fight the good fight? What relationship do you have that's been damaged because of a bad fight? And what could you do now to resolve that conflict? Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's a, a friend, a coworker. Where do we need to humble ourselves in order to be reconciled to somebody that we care for? Just ask yourself that question. And as we pray, I want to encourage you to pray about that this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you've created each of us uniquely. You know everything about us. Our hearts, our minds, our personalities, our pride, the way we handle arguments, the things we need to work on. You know our hearts. God, give us the courage and the strength that we need to be able to face conflict with the people you put in our lives. And Lord, help us to handle that conflict correctly. Help us to watch our words, to control our anger, knowing it's not a bad thing necessarily to be upset or angry, but we have to control it. Lord, help us to work to resolution, knowing 
You want us to fix whatever separates us from other people before we come to you. And Lord, give us the strength to walk humbly. It is so difficult. But knowing that that humility will strengthen us and strengthen the other person. God, there's some watching today at home and some here that I I know somebody came to mind when we talked about who we have unresolved conflict with. Lord, would you open the door for them to work work towards resolving that, that conflict, to have the courage, not be fearful, to, to step forward and initiate conversation with that other person. Hey, I just want to fix this. I want to get to the, the bottom of this. I know I haven't handled myself the way I should or, or whatever, Lord, just give them the words. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people, this community that you've given us to, to be your ambassadors in. Thank you for all the other churches too, Lord. Help us to continue to reach out, to share with others how you can absolutely change our lives. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Real quick, I want to encourage you, whether you're online or here, uh, fill out those connection cards. If you've got prayer requests, I encourage you to put those down. Uh, We have an incredible, faithful prayer team that prays through those every single day, all throughout the week. Uh, You know, sometimes we forget to even pray for people. Put them on that card and and lift them up to the Lord. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Be careful going home. Uh, If you're already at home, don't go anywhere. Yeah, maybe that's good. (laughs) Fix breakfast for your spouse, whatever. But uh, you guys be careful going home. Grab about five donuts on your way out. We got plenty. Thanks again for being here. God bless you.